0: Welcome to the All Things Protest podcast presented by Kroll and Mooring. I'm Christian Curran, and with me today are my co-hosts, Olivia Lynch and Rob Sneckenberg. Last month, we took a break from the podcast and hosted a joint webinar with our friends at AOC Key Solutions on strategies for a winning proposal. The slides from that webinar are available on our website and include helpful tips and tricks for positioning your company to succeed in federal procurements. On the topic of succeeding in federal procurements, today we're covering one of the thorniest issues of all, what to do when your key personnel depart in the middle of a procurement. Olivia will cover recent GAO decisions on this issue, and Rob will address an ongoing Court of Federal Claims case to keep an eye on.
1: Thanks, Christian. When a solicitation requires offerers to identify key personnel, both GAO and the court have long held that offerers must propose individuals that they actually anticipate will work on the contract. If an offerer proposes individuals that they have no intention of staffing, then that constitutes an improper bait-and-switch. In a series of recent decisions, though, GAO has recognized a significant additional problem. In cases such as Pioneering Evolution and YWCA, GAO has held that even if an offerer proposes personnel that it intends to staff, the offerer has an affirmative duty to notify the agency if those personnel become unavailable after proposal submission. Then, upon receiving that notification, the agency has two and only two options. Either it can open discussions with all offerers, or evaluate the offer as if it did not propose personnel, in which case the offer is almost certainly unacceptable. Agencies may be sympathetic to an offer whose key personnel departs through no fault of their own, for example, due to a medical or other unforeseeable reason, but they still might not be inclined to open wide ranging discussions with all offerers. Thus, this draconian rule. These offers with departed personnel between a rock and a hard place. Either notify the agency and risk immediate elimination or don't notify and risk a successful GAO protest after award.
2: Thanks, Olivia. For a few years now, we've been monitoring these GAO decisions and waiting for the Court of Federal Claims to address these issues. Finally, there's a pending case that should provide an interesting test. In Chenega Healthcare Services VUS, the protesters' sister company, which, for convenience, we'll refer to interchangeably as Chenega was the incumbent contractor supporting a DOE training center in Albuquerque. After proposal submission, Chinega's incumbent program manager, who Chinega had proposed to continue as the program manager for the follow-on contract, became unavailable due to an unanticipated medical issue. Naturally, for the incumbent contract, Chenega proposed and the agency accepted a new PM. Chenega then sought to add that same individual to its follow-on proposal. And that's where things went off the rails. Even though the replacement PM had been approved by the agency and was working on the incumbent contract, the agency refused to allow Chenega to update its proposal. Thus, despite otherwise favorable technical ratings and a lower price than the awardee, the agency found Chenega technically unacceptable and awarded to another contractor. Chenega protested at GAO alleging that the agency was required to allow Chenega to revise its proposal or to otherwise evaluate the replacement PM under the too-close-at-hand doctrine. But citing its recent line of decisions discussed by Olivia, GAO denied the protest. Chenega next filed suit at the Court of Federal Claims, raising perhaps the first court challenge on these issues. Based on the online docket, the case is still ongoing, but there have been at least two notable developments. First, in July, the court denied Chenega's request for a preliminary injunction. In that decision, the court agreed with GAO that the agency was not required to allow Chenega to revise his proposal or to evaluate the new proposed PM under the too-close-at-hand doctrine, even though he was performing on the incumbent contract. Second, just last week, after briefing on the merits appeared complete, Chenega filed a declaration notifying the court that just four days after performance began, the awardee had to substitute its PM due to a medical issue. And not only that, but the awardee was replacing its PM with the very same individual that Chinega had used in the incumbent contract and had attempted to add to his proposal. So Chinega was found unacceptable, even though the same individual it tried to propose ended up working on the contract after all. It's not clear whether or how the court will consider this new information, or whether the court will change its earlier preliminary injunction ruling but this is potentially a very significant decision
0: that we will continue to monitor. Thanks, Rob. In the meantime, what can companies do when they're faced with key personnel departures like the one you discussed in Janaga?
2: It's still a tricky area, but there are at least three strategies to consider. First, to hopefully avoid this issue altogether, encourage agencies to strongly consider whether key personnel requirements are necessary in a solicitation. If specific individuals are not really necessary, as they often are not, reducing those submission requirements can eliminate this issue. Second, and also before this ever becomes a problem, obtain firm commitments from your key personnel and incentivize them to stick around. With procurements today lasting longer and longer and often being delayed due to repeated protests and corrective action, it's more important than ever to make sure your key personnel remain available. Finally, GAO is held that if an offerer learns that its key personnel become unavailable, then the offeror has a duty to notify the agency of that fact before award. But GAO has not specifically identified how closely an offeror must monitor its proposed key personnel and their availability. Also, there's at least one older Court of Federal Claims decision, OAO Corp. VUS, questioning whether there isn't any obligation for an offer to update its proposal between final proposal submission and award. So there may be some wiggle room in a contractor's monitoring and notice obligations. We won't go so far as to say that ignorance is bliss, but this is another issue that we expect to arrive at the court in the near future, and which we'll be monitoring closely.
0: Thanks, Rob. That concludes our discussion for today. These decisions will be posted on our website along with this podcast, and if you have any questions on this topic or are facing these issues yourself, don't hesitate to call. And as always, thanks for listening.
1: The All Things Protest podcast is presented by Kroll & Mooring and hosted by Olivia Lynch, rob sneckenberg and christian curran you can find the materials discussed today on kroll.com or on our blog the government contracts legal forum